Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, the Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Melanie C. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, August 19, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on page 127, paragraph 1, the head of the house ought to be. Today's readers are the 12 Steps, Sue V., The Twelve Traditions, Joanne L., The Readers of the Text, Diane B., Anita J., and Marie P. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, August 18, 2014, 6773. 6773. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Suvi to read the 12 steps. Hi, good morning, everybody. My name is Suvi, recovered compulsive overeater in Connecticut. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you. I will now ask Joanne L. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Joanne L., recovered in New Jersey. The 12 traditions of OA, one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, 
For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature that we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 127, paragraph 1, starting with the head of the house, Odd. And I will ask Diane B. to begin reading. Good morning. This is Diane in New York, Recovered Compulsive Eater. Um... Okay, since the home has suffered more than anything else, it is well that a man exert himself there. He is not likely to get far in any direction if he fails to show unselfishness and love under his own roof. We know Excuse there is me, Diane? Yes? I'm sorry, I may have given you the wrong information. We're on 127. The head of the house ought to remember that I'm he sorry. is mainly to blame. Yep, sorry, I started the wrong paragraph. Uh, excuse no me. Pro- no problem. Okay. The head of the house ought to remember that he is mainly to blame for what befell his home. He can scarcely square the account in his lifetime, but he must see the danger of over-concentration on financial success. 
Although financial recovery is on the way for many of us, we found we could not place money first. For us, material well-being always followed spiritual progress. It never preceded. Since the home has suffered more than anything else, it is well that a man exert himself there. He is not likely to get far in any direction if he fails to show unselfishness and love under his own roof. We know there are difficult wives and families, but the man who is getting over alcoholism must remember he did much to make them so. As each member of a resentful family begins to see his shortcomings and admits them to the others, he lays a basis for helpful discussion. These family talks will be constructive if they can be carried on without heated argument, self-pity, self-justification, or resentful criticism. Little by little, mother and children will see they ask too much, and father will see he gives too little. Giving rather than getting will become the guiding principle. Okay. Um, so this is really, really um, full of stuff in here for me. Um, since the home has suffered more than anything else, it is well that a man exert himself there. Um, it's funny because I find that it's easier for me to practice these principles in my affairs outside the home than it is to do it inside the home. But I do um, work on this every day. I pray that my character defects will be relieved for me today. And um, one of my character defects is being impatient. And with my children, I find that I am, I am oftentimes impatient. Well, actually, not as much as I used to be. It's getting better. Um, but that one of the ways, and then when, after I pray for that, I, I pray that I can be the best person that I can be today. I ask God to help me to be the best mother, the best daughter, the best friend, whatever it is, um, so that I know that God is guiding me through the day. Um, I've also, this last sentence, giving rather than getting, will become the guiding principle. That has been so important in my life. Um, rather than expecting my children to do whatever for me, I am really trying to give to them what I can um, within limits and also but to become a guiding parent um, so that I can help them to become independent and self-sufficient um, when they become adults and also to give them that, that um, sense of self and that, that um, good self-esteem so that they will feel confident in what they're doing. And for me, the way to do that is to give them, not necessarily material things, but to give them um, my experience and strength, um, to give them my time, to listen to them, to, and when they ask me to give them my opinion, um, rather than always asking them for stuff, you know, can you do this for me? Um, I need you to do that, da-da-da-da, whatever. And that has helped really um, a lot. And um, I have a son with autism who has just left for school for a, a special program, a two-year program. He graduated high school. And he's doing beautifully. And I know that that's because, partially because of what I have given him in terms of his life experiences and understanding and opportunities to learn. Um, so I think that last sentence is really what touches me the most. And with that, I will pass. Thank you so much. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you, Diane. Who would like to comment on what was read this morning? Kim. This is Nancy. Hi, Kim. And then Nancy. 
Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. He is not likely to get far in any direction if he fails to show unselfishness and love under his own roof. We know there are difficult wives and families, but the man who is getting over alcoholism must remember he did much to make them so. You know, we heard taught earlier in the book about this long period of reconstruction. So what are we talking about here? They're saying the family afterwards. And what is it after? It's after we've been through the 12 steps. Why is that? Because in four and five, we've looked at those things that are blocking us from a higher power. We've looked at our resentments. We've looked at our fears. We've looked at our, our sexual conduct. And by doing that, we've identified those weak character defects, those things that are objectionable, and we've asked God to into those to remove them from us. And then in steps eight and nine, we've gone out and we've made amends to these people. We've made amends to our family and our coworkers and, and our you know, people in, in our lives that we have harmed. So now that we're unblocked, we're having to deal with them on a different level. And just because we've changed doesn't mean that they're going to be like, okay, no problem. You know, I'm someone that's very goal-oriented, and I think once I achieve the goal, everyone should just fall in line. You know, I mean, I know my fantasy was I'm going to get to goal weight, and then that next morning I'm going to open up my front door, and there's going to be Brad Pitt because he's just been waiting for me to reach 120 pounds. You know, this is a program that we're going to be growing towards the ideals that we have set in steps four through nine. And I had to accept the fact that I made some sick bargains with people and that I, you know, it talks earlier in the book about 20 or 30 years of drunkenness is not going to, it's going to make a skeptic out of anyone. Most people are going to be skeptics. And if I think I can just treat my family as if it's no big deal and then just go out to away people and just love them to death, I'm missing the mark. This program is about changing my entire life so that I am God-focused. I am other-focused. I am no longer Kim-focused. And it's going to take some time for other people to trust me. And what I learned in working four through nine is not only is it going to take them a while, but I have to accept the responsibility that I made them so. People are, are, are touchy and bristly around me because of the way that I treated them for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. People are walking on eggshells because they never knew what I was going to be like. So why would they trust that this time I'm going to be different? Why are they going to trust that, that I'm not going to go back to that, that <clears throat> angry person that I was. And why is that? Because I'm going to have the actions. You know, we often hear the term, well, I'm just going to make a living amends to this person. There's nothing about living amends in, in the big book. What they say is, is our job is to go out and make amends for, for harms in direct ways. But once we make that amends, every single amends is a living amends. Because I am saying... I have harmed you, and I will no longer do that. I am recognizing my character defects, and because of that, I am going to work with my higher power to no longer be that person I was in my disease. So I love this paragraph because it's letting us know that we must take the lead, that we must recognize that, we, that these people we have damaged and we've harmed, and like that tornado, it's going to take time to reconstruct that. And it also lets us know that our focus needs to be on the family. We have neglected them for many years, and we have a lot to do to prove to them that that's not the person we are today, and we have a lot to do to make up for those years that we were absent. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Nancy T. 
Did you call my name, Melanie? I did. Hi. Good morning. Hi. I was unmuting. I'm sorry. Um, good morning, Melanie. Good morning, Vision for You. Um, I'm Nancy. I'm a compulsive reader in Lewiston, Idaho. You know, I love the beginning. The very first sentence, I was relating to that, and then it ended with a sentence, and I thought, wow, for me, that was like, you know, the the beginning and the end of my journey. You know, well, we don't ever have an end to our journey, but the then and now, I guess I should say. And, you know, it started with the head of the house ought to remember that he is mainly to blame for what befell his home. Boy, I tell you, I came into these rooms thinking I never heard anybody but myself. And um, I remember listening to people share about cleaning up the records of the past and um, making amends at home first and or this and that. And I thought, I, you know, I'm, never, I'm not married. I live alone. You know, I have my daughter and my grandkids that live in the same town as me. But I was totally oblivious to the harm that I had caused to those people close to me. Um, not just my family, my immediate family, but um, friends and coworkers. Um, I literally become a Je- uh, Jekyll and Hyde when I am eating and when I am not. And I have been one that has struggled back and forth with abstinence. You know, I'll get longer periods of recovery and then I'll pick up and then I get more p- recovery and I pick up. And, you know, it, it's been that kind of a journey for me. And so... I have to remember, though, that I'm the cause of it. I'm the one that's making the choices, that's causing the chaos in my life. I'm making decisions that trigger a disease that I have that I have no control over. And um, so, it, you know, that just re- that first sentence just reminded me of that. This is nobody's, well, I don't even like to say fault because it is a, it is a disease. It's, it's, a, it's a result of decisions that I make and actions that I take. And maybe I should say more so failure to take actions I know I need to take because I think one of my biggest problems, I'll get to a period um, in recovery and I get complacent and um, the big book tells us we can't rest on our laurels and that's exactly what I am guilty of and I get the same result every single time I do that, which is I pick up. Um, But then the very last sentence says, giving rather than getting will become the guiding principle. And it was so interesting because just yesterday um, when I was posting on a loop that I belong to, I said, for today, um, I want to see what I can give to life rather than what I can take to life. It wasn't exactly those words, but it was that meaning. And the same meaning that these words um, had at the end. And it just kind of, I was able to, I'm sorry if you can hear my cat in the background. He's being annoying. Um, But, the, you know, the words put me right. I just got to see my kind of immediate journey from, you know, where I begin and where I am today. And, you know, even with the ups and downs, I've been able to learn that the first thing I need to do is get out of self. And the way that I do that easiest and right away is to look for ways to be of service to other people. And when I'm doing that, then my relationships with my immediate family, my relationships with my friends and coworkers, my relationships with my people in recovery with me all are better because I can open up and allow myself to be vulnerable instead of putting on this front like, I'm okay, everything's great. And so what this program does for me is allows me to be the authentic me and not have to hide behind um, what I think everybody else wants me to be. So thank you for this meeting. Thank you for all being here so bright and early. And I will pass with that. Thank you. Thank you. Who else would like to comment on what was read this morning? This is Paula D. May I comment? And Larry? Sarah? Happy (laughs) Oh. Hi. Good morning, everyone. I hear Paula D., Larry from Chicago, Sarah W., and Rabia. 
We'll go in that order, and then after that, we'll probably move on. Hi, Paula. You're first. Thank you, and thank you, Melanie, for your service. This would be Paula D. You know, I'm, I'm going to scoot on down to that paragraph, that last paragraph that was read. So easy to read, not so easy to live. As each member of a resentful family, look at what comes in together here, begins to see just the beginning his shortcomings and admits them to the others. He lays a basis for a helpful discussion. I am reading exactly as it is written. So easy, isn't it? No, not so easy. Easy at a meeting. Easy at a meeting, everybody smiling, shaking hands, giving a hug. Not so at home. These family talks will be constructed if they can be carried on without heated argument. This is the difference. The arguments are put aside. I have ceased fighting anything and everyone. Self-pity, self-judgment, or resentful criticism. Little by little. This is the part I love. Little by little. It doesn't happen all at once. That's what I expected. Well, I'm recovered now. Come on and join the party. Little by little, mother and children will see. They ask too much. And the father will see. He gives too little. He gives too little. This is it. Another principle. I need them. Giving rather than getting will become the guiding principle. That's what I need. I need guidance. More at home than at the meetings. At the meetings when we sit there and we talk about the big book and we read and we discuss. Oh, that's easy enough. Come home. Go home. Can I live the guiding principle? Giving rather than getting? Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you. Larry from Chicago. Thanks, Melanie. Appreciate uh, your service. Larry, uh, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. You know, it, it talks about, um, you know, since the home has suffered more um, than anything else, it is well that a man exert himself there. So that's where we're going to try to exert ourselves. He is not likely to get far in any direction if he fails to show unselfishness and love under his own roof. Until I was recovered, um, I couldn't get very far because I could not show unselfishness, unselfishness and love under my own roof. And, you know, it's really important for me to remember that the hope of this, this new design for living, you know, this, this design for living is that we form a new relationship with our creator. And, and by doing that, we become a more balanced person. At least that's been my experience. I could not be balanced until I had a complete psychic change. I tried. I tried to be more balanced. I tried to think my way into being more, a more balanced person emotionally, spiritually. Certainly the physical manifestations of this disease were, you know, proved that I wasn't a balanced person. And again and again and again, I would go back out and pick up whatever I needed to pick up to, to just cope with life. But now, you know, in the family afterwards, having had a complete psychic change, I can be that type of person, not only in my family, but in my community. So, you know, this, this chapter I read, you know, I read, I read all, you know, the first 164 pages. I read the whole book. But it didn't make the same sense to me. It was like reading, um, you know, in my, in my, in my um, 
in my profession, you know, reading about a like a like a theorist in in, in my in my field of study before I actually knew it and understood it and could apply those things, it didn't make any sense. So I, I would read the family afterwards and. You know, I didn't have a complete psychic change, so I could sit there and try to apply and be that person, be that per- that that stand-up guy, that one that, that shows love and tolerance and patience and kindness to others in my family. But I was it was a front. I couldn't do it, and I knew I couldn't do it. Now, the difference is, is as, as the result of working these steps and having had a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to arrest this disease, I know that I can be that person. Despite whatever calamity, whatever challenge comes my way, I know I can be that person. And regardless of also of where, the, where other people are in their lives, it's not that I'm, believe me, I'm, I, I got here on a losing streak, so it's not that I place myself above at all. It's just that I, I have the perceptive lenses in which I see the world today by the grace of God are different. So I bring something different to my family. And yes, over time, they see that, you know, in the beginning, it was like, oh, well, here we go again. Seems to be like a a good guy today. What's tomorrow going to be? You know, walking on eggshells. They don't, no one has to walk on eggshells around me anymore. They don't. And and, And it takes time for people to see that. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. It's changed my life. And it's brought me into a closer connection with my higher power. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you. Sarah W. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Sarah W. from Iowa, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, you know, I keep thinking, you know, uh, the steps offer us a second chance. I mean, you know, we have created so much wreckage. And, you know, it... As you know, on page 83, you know, uh, it's, it's all about the long period of reconstruction ahead. And it offers us a prayer uh, that we can use each morning with our families and, and in how to deal with them. And, um, and it says our behavior will convince them more than our words. And, um, you know, I, I can be very wordy. And I, um, what I'm realizing um, as I go on, and I started just about 20 years ago, is that, um, you know, it is about the behaviors. And we are in the, uh, past the ninth step, you know, we are, we are, um, we, we are recovered in this chapter. You know, we are already free of the food obsession. Um, we're, uh, we have worked our steps and we're at the place where, um, we have done the most, uh, damage. We need to start to rectify, uh, truly in our behaviors and our actions. And, um, you know, sometimes it's really hard to hear things from people that we love when they say to us that we have done certain damages. Um, Years later, you know, um, not so long ago, I have heard things from my daughter of her pain and her um, feeling like I abandoned her. And, you know, to be able to listen to that and not to say I'm a piece of crap, but that I see that I did. And how can I make that right with her uh, without um, enabling behaviors, too, at the same time? So I just wanted to welcome whoever is a newcomer um, that uh, the steps 
you know, if you have a lot of problems today and you're walking in going, good God, you know, here we are talking about the family. I can't even get my food straight. If you put your problems aside and work your steps, your problems will start to diminish. And that is a promise. It happens. And I think a lot of times we want the problems to just go away and then we'll work the steps. But I think if we work the steps, uh, that's been my experience, that the problems will diminish and, um, you know, the promises start to come true. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. And then, Rabia, you're next. And after Rabia, we'll move on to the next page. Michelle. Good morning, all my fellow visionaries. This is Rabia from New York. I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'm loving studying this today because it describes me, these paragraphs describe me to a T um, when I'm in my disease. And, and um, I'm enjoying reading them today because today I have a lightness of being and um, and I'm looking at this and seeing uh, that I have uh, bad behavior habits. Um, the the habits that I've lived with for very many years. And uh, and for example, this morning I woke up and if I'm really tired when I wake up, wake up sometimes it takes me a while to remember I'm recovered. I'm not crabby, I'm abstinent, you know, I can be happy to be in the day. And um, and then I, I get, and then I'm delighted, you know, and there's a promise of the fifth step. I feel delighted a lot of the time. And, um, and, and so I have a habit of blaming my husband for my disgruntledness and, He's not even home this morning. He went. He left this morning only to play golf. And I, honestly, I can't even remember what I was disgruntled about because now I know it's really my irritability, restlessness, and discontent. However, I don't know. Something happened, and I had this flash of disgruntledness, and um, and I immediately blamed him. And then I just smiled, you know, because now God is smiling. I feel God smiles with me. And it's like, well, he's not even here, you know. This is just a bad behavior. And, and I love this in the first paragraph, well-being always followed spiritual progress. It never preceded it. And I have well-being this morning. I have this lightness of being. Um, and it has nothing to do with the material. It has to do with um, having a God consciousness today, a God-centeredness, because I have recovered in these 12 steps, and I don't have to be that person anymore. And, um, and, and I just have to read, you know, these words. It takes me right back to who I was uh, in my home, you know, self-justification, resentful criticism, blaming him for everything. I just said to him yesterday, you know, there's one habit I'd really like to break that I've been seeing lately. I want to stop trying to prove that you're wrong because he's right a lot of the time, but sometimes he's just wrong. And and, and I'm determined to prove it to him. And I'll do all sorts of computer research to, you know, <laughs> I don't want to do that anymore. I don't have to do that anymore, you know, and... um and for today, I'm not going to do that with God's help. And so, you know, one day at a time with all of each other, with my fellows and with God, 
and with helping others, um, I get to live a beautiful life being a different person. Uh, I, with that, I pass. Thank you all. Thank you, Rafia. And now we'll move on to the next page of our reading today. Anita J., would you start on 128, paragraph 1, assume on the other hand? Yes, I will. This is Anita J. from Massachusetts, recovered. Assume on the other hand that God has at the outset, a stir- that Father has at the outset, a stirring spiritual experience. Overnight, as it were, he he is a different man. He becomes a religious enthusiast. He is unable to focus on anything else. As soon as his sobriety begins to be taken as a matter of course, the family may look at their strange new dad with apprehension and then with irritation. There is talk about spiritual matters, morning, noon, and night. He may demand that the family find God in a hurry or exhibit amazing indifference to them and say he is above worldly considerations. He may tell mother, who has been religious all her life, that she doesn't know what it's all about and that she had better get his brand of spirituality while there is yet time. When father takes this tact, the family may react unfavorably they may be jealous of a God who has stolen dad's affections. While grateful that he drinks no more, they may not like the idea that God has accomplished the miracle where they failed. They often forget that father was beyond human aid. They may not see why their love and devotion did not straighten him out. Dad is not so spiritual after all, they say. If he means to right his past wrongs, why all this concern for everyone in the world but his family? What about his talk that God will take care of them? They suspect Father is a bit balmy. He is not so embarrassed as they might think. Many of us have experienced Dad's elation. We have indulged in spiritual intoxication like a gaunt prospector belt drawn in over the last ounce of food, our picks struck gold. Joy and our release from a lifetime of frustration knew no bounds. Father feels he has struck something better than gold. For a time, he may try to hug the new treasure to himself. He may not see at once that he has barely scratched a limitless load which will pay dividends only if he minds it for the rest of his life and insists on giving away the entire product. Boy, oh boy. Um, you know, I originally didn't think these, this chapter and the one before had anything to do with me and um, how wrong I was with the new eyes that I have recovered. I had been my whole life a seeker of God and uh, I tried to find them, find them through a church. And I did one that had that very, what, what happened to this guy, the really high, high um, spiritual born-again-ish. And um, anyway, that didn't work. None of it worked. 
and the thing I want to say is that after one year in OA, I had my first spiritual connection. And I was driving in a car and was totally totaled. And I didn't get anything wrong with me. And that wasn't the connection. It was one year later driving down the same road. And there was a stretcher and a fire truck and um, an ambulance for a tiny little truck that had hit a woman. And um, she got hurt. And it was at that moment that I realized I had had a huge truck hit me, that God had always been with me. And I sailed on that for years, trying to build through OA um, various methods of trying to connect deeper, but I never got it until, truthfully, this particular program. And um, I went through a period, I wanted to say, where I was insufferable. I don't know if it was to the whole family. The kids were in high school, so I had time to be a true mother, which I really hadn't been. I had been playmate, wicked witch, and various things like that. But with my husband, I felt so surely that God was telling me things about what he ought to do, and I would tell him that sincerely. I would say, honey, God has told me to tell you, and he'd listen. I don't know if he ever did it, but finally my husband, you know, it's funny how people begin to grow up if you're trying. He said to me one day, he stopped me cold, and he said, look, God told me to tell you that he has made his own contact with your with me, and your services are no longer needed. And that's the message this whole book is telling me, keep the focus on me begin to learn and be grateful and the joy will grow Um, my family has been the hardest because that's where I hurt them that's where I hurt people the most Uh, this has been a time of doing my amends and um, for the second time third time second time and um, it has been very good I think they sense a change in me because you know why? The humility I have now, I, I, it's, it's not the Anita. It's not the Anita that bore those two kids or the, or the woman that my husband married. And yet, look what it says here. I've only scratched the surface. I must continue to mind and give away this gold, this pot of gold. And the thing was, I just discovered there is a pot of gold. I've been up and down the rainbow of recovery for years and gotten bits here and bits there and, you know, all kinds of wonderful things, but never true recovery, never never being a recovered person. Um, ah, this is a gift. I don't want to keep it to myself. I don't. I want to pass it on. Um, but I know it begins with the family and with that, listen, thank you, all of you, whoever thought of this two years ago. God bless you. Um, and with that, I pass. Thank you. Who would like to comment on what was read? This is Amy. Rose. This is Sharon in Colorado. I hear Amy and I hear Sharon. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I hear Amy. Could I share? Sharon. Rose. 
And somebody just right after Rose before Sue B. Sue I hear you. I hear you also, Miriam. And okay, I hear it was Sue G instead of Sue B. But was there somebody after Rose and just before Sue G? Uh, do, do. That's who it was. Thanks so much. I hear Amy, Sharon, Rose, Do, Sue G, and Miriam. Good morning, Amy. And we may not get to everybody, but good morning, Amy. Good morning. My name is Amy. Thank you for your service. Uh, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. So grateful to be here. It's such an awesome page. It just took me down memory lane, and I just remember so much of how, talk about balmy. You know, they suspect Father is a bit balmy. You know, he's been so intoxicated by this spiritual experience. And I can tell you from my experience when I finally, after years and decades of uh, compulsive overeating torture and even four and a half years in program not getting it to finally surrender and truly rely on a higher power, my God, for release from this deadly and merciless obsession. I was like a drowning man. You know, when you're swallowing water and you're underwater, the only thing you can think about is air. And oh my gosh, I took my head out my head. Someone threw me a life preserver. Oh, that's God. And all I could think of was programming God and programming God. And I was desperate to never go back to that, that compulsive overeating hell again. And I, and when I had come home at that point, I had failed out of college. I had no money. I had to move back home. And my parents were happy that I wasn't binging and purging and compulsively exercising for hours on end and all of those crazy and crazy terrible behaviors that as compulsive overeaters that we do. But then I was all about program. You know, I, I was a preacher's kid. I, my mother was a minister of music at church. My, you know, my, her father was a pastor. And I'm starting to talk to her about spirituality. You know, it's true religion. It's all about spirituality. And I was shouting program from the rooftop. I want to do a crisis intervention on all of my siblings. I just was insane for program. You know, like others had said earlier, and throughout the weeks we've been talking that there's so much more to this disease than meets the mouth, you know, and I didn't change just because I put the food down. And I've lived a life of extremes as an addict on. It was all black and white. So for me at that point, it was all about program. And I'm not saying that we, it was the wrong thing to do that, but I certainly didn't always go about it the right way. And I can still gratefully say that people have said, if we just put one foot in front of another, we have a sponsor. And this is where the fellowship really plays an important part, where I had a sponsor that would say, you know, we need to work a step on this. You know, we need to, you know, we need to curb our behavior and our enthusiasm, and we need to not covet our program. Like it talks about here at the end of that, pair, of that page, that they, we've barely scratched a limitless load and that the rest of the life, our lives depends and insists on giving away the entire product. I was so terrified of going back that I wanted to hoard program to myself. I, didn't, I went to every meeting. I went to every retreat. I did everything I was told to do, but I was needed to enlarge my spiritual program in one of the most important ways, which was to give it away and to understand that my own behavior had to change in my family, in my home. And that was hard for me at first because I was just a kid in the family. You know, what did I do? I just needed to go out there and take care of myself and get better. Yes, I did need to do that. But there was also the fact that I needed to serve those around me as well. I needed to be a servant, whereas before I was a taker. I needed to learn how to give instead of always be thinking about me. And this program slowly started to transform me. Instead of working the program out of a terrible fear, a healthy fear, no less, because it kept me abstinent, but also 
a love of the program and to become more God-centered instead of self-centered. That was a personality transformation that took time and the process of the transformation that happens through working the 12 steps. I mean, I'll just give you an example. You know, I'm at home. I'm living at my parents' house. They're providing for me. They are sustaining me while I go out there and try to find a job and try to get my life back together. But someone gave me this idea in one of my treatment programs about something called a gentle breakfast. And every morning you dim the lights, you play serene music, you read devotionals, you eat your breakfast one bite at a time, putting a spoon down between every single bite. You take like about an hour to eat your breakfast. I demanded in my home that I should be able to have Amy, we lost you. Press star one or star eight. Amy. Let's move on while Amy comes back. Sharon H. Thank you, Melanie. Can you hear me? I can. Good morning. Okay, thanks. Uh, This is Sharon in Colorado, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I just love this chapter. Um, It's just like um, God has such an amazing sense of humor. You know, we have a spiritual disease, and it's rooted in uh, selfishness and self-centeredness, but we didn't know that. And so we've lived our lives in extremes for many, many years. And um, so this just shows the beginning of the reconstruction that must take place. And not only it has to start with us, and we go through that process by you know, going through the steps, but then here we are with the family, and um, there's a hot mess there, at least there was in my family, and, and still is to a certain extent, but I could just see myself in both these extremes, I'd done both of them, you know, wow, now I've got it, you know, this is the spirituality that was missing in my life, and you all better but get on this spiritual train with me, and off we go into the sunset, and and so I can just relate so readily to how irritating I'm sure I was to my own family with that exuberance and then I also was the other way you know now I'm learning how to try and live a life that is rooted in love and tolerance as the code and um, cease fighting anything or anyone and um, instead you know I'm trying to use these tools to learn how to uh, acknowledge within myself those self-centered traits that God is uh, doing in me to uh, put me on a different plane of thinking than I'd always been. And so um, I just find so much humor in this because I just see myself in every single page, and it's been a long time coming with, um, you know, God has to work on us first, and there's a lot of work to be done there. And and then it gradually will, um, you know, become a living part of our life with the family. And it's so true. It's so easy to be so kind and loving and caring on this line. And then the family, not so much. But God is so uh, faithful to us and he is so patient with us. And as long as we're faithful to do the spiritual toolkit stuff that we have, and that's the steps, 
He continues to do for us what we have never been able to do for ourselves, and that's, that's to live in this new way of thinking and living that frees us not only from the bondage of going back over and over and over again into the food, but also how to live a life that's rooted in uh, love and patience and kindness and all of those things that I didn't know how to do. So I'm just so grateful for this program. I'm so grateful for us going through the family afterward because it's it's loaded with humor, but it's also loaded with a, a, a reality, reality checks of what's ahead for us, and yet it will happen if we're just faithful to the process. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Melanie. Thank you. Rose D. Press star one. Hi, Melanie. Can you hear me now? I can. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so very much for your service this morning. And I have a very brief comment um, to sentence um, on page 128. If he means, I'm Rose B., excuse me, recovered um, food addict in New York. If he means to right his past wrongs, why all this concern for everyone in the world but his family? And when that was read this morning, it put me over to the um, sentence on page 84, which I know well by heart, which is love and tolerance of others is our code. Um, That isn't a uh, suggestion. It's really an instruction. And when I took my third step in June 2012, I was instructed to read pages 84 through 88 every morning and every night. And thanks to God and this program, I continue to do that. Sentence, love and tolerance of others is our code, for me speaks to all that we're reading here in the family as to why um, I am to treat my family Um, as I'm able and I'm growing spiritually in the program, um, they are to be included in the love and tolerance of others as our code. It's our code. So there are others waiting to speak. Thank you very much for letting me share, and I'll pass. Thank you, Rose. Do L. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, a vision for you. Um, this is Stu, a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, thank you for this. I, I really love this chapter of family afterwards because this is where I got it with my family. And um, and it's such a, a beautiful paragraph because it, it really shows me that in the beginning of recovery, we're unbalanced. We don't have the balance that we need, and we're trying to find the balance Um and dealing with our families, dealing with our loved ones, dealing with uh, people in program, and dealing with ourselves because we're just starting to walk this path. And I'm reminded what page 83 says um, in the first paragraph, there's a long period of reconstruction ahead and we must take the lead. And and that means that, you know, um, I have to find a balance as to how to do this. And, you know, I'm, I'm not to go in and criticize the family and analyze them and, you know, tell them what to do. And 
Um, but it's just finding the balance in, in where we invite them over to to do the morning meditation and to pray with God and to uh, practice patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. And one of the things that uh, I see in contrast here is that, you know, this guy's like, he's he's like focusing too much on the spirituality and, and he's kind of like forcing um, his sobriety on his family, you know, by, by you know, um, you know, uh, becoming like this God girl <laughs> in the family. And um, in page 83, it says, unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we ought not to urge them, you know. So it's a matter of, you know, living these principles, showing, becoming that living example to others, and knowing that they're in a process like we have been in the process. We've been in the process of recovering um, and, and, and kind of like straightening out our past and our wreckage. They're in the process of, you know, knowing that we're recovering and knowing that we're going to become different because they don't know that yet. Um, my experience with that has been, you know, I had to give my, my family time to adjust to me as well as me adjust to this new way of life. And it's just finding the balance and inviting God in, you know, but not forcing things upon people, you know. And um, I, I, I know when I first got this, I became a God girl, too. I was just like, you know, I, I want this for everybody. I want them to adhere to my change. And my sponsor reminded me, you know, they need their time to adjust to to you. You know, they need their time to to come to understand that you're making those changes and it doesn't happen overnight because it's a long reconstruction period. And and so all I have to do is kind of like, you know, take them one step at a time, one day at a time, and practicing these principles and eventually, you know, it, it will iron itself out. Um, but here it gives me the do's and don'ts. You know, it's saying, yes, you know, take the lead in, in um, taking the spirituality, but at the same time, don't try to force your beliefs on other people. You know, let them come to you and let them, and all you can do is, is love them, show them patience, show them tolerance, pray with them if they want to pray with you, you know, but you practice these principles. You practice these principles in all your affairs, and eventually everything will become harmonious where it, it it's going to become evident to all people. And um, and that's what I see here. I'm so grateful that I get to experience that over and over again and that this has come true in my life. And and that, you know, it's, it's about finding the balance. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Drew. And we have come to the end of our recorded meeting. So for um, Suji and Miriam, I hope that you will stay and share at the second hour, which is coming up right after announcement. And thank you to everyone who has shared so far. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Marie P. please read a vision for you? Yes, this is Marie P., a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you for being there, Melanie. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation to you uh, ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick.
The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until